Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson with Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. We've got spring practice previews to talk about, NFL combine measurements. I don't know if you guys spent your weekend uh, obsessing over hand reach and uh, <laughs> vertical jumps, uh, but also basketball. Now that Notre Dame is officially in a bracket, we can lead the podcast with hoops. Uh, Tim, you were down in Louisville over the weekend, close out the regular season with a loss, ultimately Notre Dame... Ends up as a three seed double by in the tournament. We'll play Thursday night, late game, nine PM probably. Um, and I guess I mean being around Bray and the players at Louisville, they had a chance to maybe get a share of the league. Uh, didn't work out. What what was sort of the vibe I guess around the program coming out of that to finish as well as they did, even in a loss? I I would imagine had to be a mixed bag, but. Maybe more to the positive than the negative? Yeah, definitely, because I think that they they turned the page real quickly after that game. You know, you know, they were shooting for their seventh in a row. They did it when they were six and five, they did exactly what they needed to do. They won six games in a row and put them in themselves in a position to possibly tie for first place during the regular season. It didn't work out. I thought they you know, I thought they played pretty good defense uh against Louisville, which is long and athletic and talented. But they just can't keep players off the board, and um, and that ended up costing them a little bit. They missed some uh, shooting opportunities, but you know I think it's very positive now. They ended up, um, you know, North Carolina beating Duke, and that gave them the number three seed. And I think they go into this feeling really good about themselves. They certainly feel really good about playing in the Bar- Barclays Center in Brooklyn. They've won four in a row there, two games in the NCAA tournament last year, and two games against. Colorado and Northwestern in the Legends Classic in November. So it's upbeat. Uh, number three seed, amazingly, Notre Dame is the only team in the ACC to get a double bye in each of the last three years. North Carolina was crazy. a five seed two yeah. years ago. Virginia's a six seed now. Duke's a five seed now. So they're the only team to get their uh, three straight years. And it's really pretty incredible because when you match teams up man for man, they are not nearly as talented as a lot of these other teams. But Mike Bray continues to, to, to keep it rolling uh, as they head in the ACC. Yeah, I think in the short term, uh, just looking at this particular tournament, they're just going to have to – they could have gotten out ahead of Louisville had they hit some of those open shots. Right. And then it happened earlier in the year against Virginia. They had open shots, and they missed them. And then the second half, those aren't there. It becomes harder. you got to hit those. you got to kind of get the feeling, especially on the road where you get a little bit of momentum going. I thought it was interesting you mentioned not being able to keep off the backboard. At some point – they switched to zone, and I saw I started keeping track when they went to zone. There was yeah. about 15 possessions, uh, like 13 in a row they were went zone. Now, Louisville didn't score on all these, but I started tracking. First possession was a three for Louisville. The next five were second-chance opportunities. That's six possessions mm-hmm. with either scoring or getting a three. The next two were three-pointers. Then they got to stop. And interestingly enough, they went away from it and kind of stole some possessions with zone at the very end. But it is a crapshoot if they're going to get the rebound against the zone. It's not even defending the three. It's it, there's just there no box out well enough against. It's not boxing out well enough. It's 
athletes are running yeah. to the rim and they don't have any height there. And uh, unless your man Martin Gebbin is back in action, Tim. Well, he played. He played well. He no, play, he, he, no, not he for Gebbin. He just played well. Yeah, he, yeah, well, he played well the last yeah. two games of the year. He played well against Boston College, and so that's a plus. He gives another man in the rotation, another big body. If he would just play, you know, I was talking to Matt Farrell about about Gebbin after the game, and he, I said, well, what is it that when you're in his ear about? You know about what he needs to do, and I couldn't even get the words out of my mouth. And he said confidence, you know, because he said when when they went to Italy, both of them went to Italy and played in August, that they both played well. But look, Gebbin just needs to be active yeah. and reactive. And he had a he had a, a slam, you know, slam dunk on a rebound. He had a great pass. He took a charge. He had a couple rebounds. That's all they need out of him. Just be active. But it's still going to come down to the big four. Um, you know, T.J. Gibbs playing solid basketball. Um, Fluger's not going to be a big scorer for him, but they're in position to do some damage. But look who's at the end of the rainbow here for Notre Dame. It looks like it'll be Virginia. Maybe Georgia Tech can get by NC State and knock off Virginia, but I don't think so. That you guys are, Pete, you're looking yeah. forward to that Georgia for, for, Tech-Virginia yeah. game? Virgi- or Georgia Tech is like the bastard child of Virginia. Like, I <laughs> I don't, I don't want to watch either of those games, um, cert- and certainly not when they play each other. But, I mean, I guess you, you look at the draws you get in predictions for the tournament. I can't – at first I look, oh, God, Virginia, that's the worst possible draw. But then you're like, well, wait a minute, North Carolina, Duke, and Louisville are on the other side of the bracket, yeah. and they beat Florida State, almost beat them twice. Maybe this is actually the best possible I think draw. it is. No, I think it is. And certainly, somehow, some way, Mike Bray, with his beautifully – flowing offense that he normally has it doesn't work that way against Virginia he's got to come up with a way to have some success offensively but this is not one of Tony Bennett's best teams uh I would like a Notre Dame Florida State matchup because that's a young Florida State team playing in the ACC tournament and it means they beat Virginia so that'd be good (laughs) right exactly I think a dangerous team is actually I think Virginia Tech could knock off Florida State. But that's why this that. is a great bracket. Because you look at the other side and you think Duke, Louisville, North Carolina. Right. The only Let knockoff beat, is Syracuse. Right. That's right. Not, you Let them beat teams. each other up. Yeah. But I yeah. wouldn't be surprised. If Nordane gets by Virginia, I wouldn't be surprised if they were playing Virginia Tech in the next game. Because I think that I think that uh, Buzz Williams can knock off Florida State. I think the bottom of this bracket is so interesting because the semifinals could be Virginia Tech versus Virginia easily. Right. And that's yeah, not yeah. up up top. It's just a, a national power, no matter what. Right. You're not. You're going to have a national title contender up top, and at the bottom, it's wide open. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I just look at if, if Virginia <laughs> if Virginia loses to Georgia Tech, then I would like Notre Dame in the final. Yeah. If Virginia beats Georgia Tech, I like Notre Dame to lose on the first night because I like these Bray's zero five against Tony Bennett. They haven't teams, been close. Bad teams, like right. They're not. They really just, haven't. No, been they're close. not close. It's just a terrible, frustrating matchup for them, and I, I don't. It's like, I think there was some conversation on social media about, like, boy, I really think Notre Dame would love another shot at Virginia. I was like, no, they wouldn't. No, because they, they, they don't have confidence. Where, 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 what, where would they derive the confidence going against Virginia? Other than, you know, Bray's ultimate confidence giver. But it has not, have, they have not seriously threatened to beat Virginia in, in five tries. And I was at that game in Denver in 2008 when Tony Bennett was coach of Washington State. Ooh. And Mike Bray's offense put up 41 points that day. Yeah, they're they're better. They're not that program anymore. But uh, no, no one wants Virginia. <laughs> Remember we were saying I, I don't want to avoid Georgia Tech after that second close game against Georgia Tech. That's not the case. It's better to play Georgia Tech. Yeah. It's, it's okay to play Georgia Tech in this tournament. <laughs> you know what? Who else do you think is a threat? I, I mean, I think 
The storyline with NC State because Gottfried has been fired is interesting. What's, but wait, what's the storyline? They're with not NC getting State? through to Duke will beat him though. That no, that he's been yeah. fired, and yeah. that usually sets the stage for a dramatic run. Unfortunately, and mm-hmm. they have they do have talent, but they're a poor they basketball team. Duke they probably don't. They probably yeah. don't get by Georgia Tech. Yeah, I mean overall, Notre Dame bracketology today. They're a five seed. I think that whether That's if they, about right. even if they lost to Virginia. On Thursday night, I think they'll probably be a five seed. You know, if they get to the semis, maybe, maybe they move four, up to a four. four. I don't. I mean, unless they won the tournament, the I don't see how they up. could get a three. No, they have um, to, the team of Jaron Grant that had five losses yeah. and won the ACC championship got a three. Yeah, it's like Notre Dame's that's, non-conference that's, schedule is not. It's just not good enough. No, I think uh, five five is a, is they're they're worthy of a five. Yeah. yeah. So four five. You know, uh, Tim, you'd be heading out to you know like nice places like Milwaukee or I'd Orlando like or Tulsa. You know, fun places like that for the <laughs> first couple rounds of the tournament. Uh, other news from the weekend: the NFL Combine happened. If you were on Twitter, you couldn't have avoided it. Um, Deshaun Kaiser, a surprisingly rough go. Um, I think there was so much buzz about him interviewing well, and we all get that because we've interviewed him. Um, but at some point, you have to give more than good quotes. You have to have a vertical jump and accuracy, and he sort of got torn apart a little bit by analysts, uh, and it did not test particularly well either in terms of 40s and, and things of that nature behind Deshaun Watson and virtually everything, which I don't think is too much of a surprise, but also behind Mitch Trubisky or Mitch, I'm Mitchell. sorry, Mitchell yes. Trubisky uh, and virtually everything as well. Um, so I, I, you know, Deshaun Kaiser came into the weekend saying, I'm the best quarterback in the draft. I want to be taken early. I want to start in week one. And I think after the weekend, not to overreact to it, I think you come out thinking like, uh, maybe you're the third best quarterback in the draft, and it would be good to sit for a year and learn from a more experienced quarterback. Even if he's the best quarterback in the draft, he'll be much better off if he gets to sit because he is not ready to start week one in the NFL. Well, they will none chew of him. Them, none, none of those no, guys. None of them are. None of them are. <laughs> yeah. They would get chewed up. You cannot have Deshaun Kaiser's accuracy and game management right now starting in, and win, you, well, you can start and winning NFL games. <laughs> it it no. just wouldn't work. Um, I, but, Pete, I think you mentioned on the board – it doesn't mean he shouldn't have come out. He's still get, he's coming out because he's going to get a great contract. Yeah, I mean, look, he's not, he's, it just doesn't mean he's going to be good. He's going but, to learn to play football, which right. is he could do that at Notre Dame for free, or he could do that in the NFL and get paid a few million dollars. I, Who in the NFL you know, get paid he, a few million dollars? But, but And I'm not surprised, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I'm not surprised at the accuracy, accuracy no, issues yeah. I at thought, all. At, and I don't understand why that's not a bigger storyline with him. Like, we all have talked about yeah. it. But it, for some reason, that has not latched on among people who, I guess, know film better than we do. Um, I mean, we watched every Deshaun Kaiser throw live, and he's just not that accurate of a quarterback. But for some reason, NFL scouts and like the Mayox and Kuipers, you you don't hear the accuracy issues. Well, I think I, I think a lot of that is still based upon 2015 yeah. as opposed to 16 when he was less accurate. Uh, and 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 I you know I've said since the beginning when, that um, well okay right I, I, see, I see your expression you have, when you have Will Fuller running around no, out there for I'm you saying, right yeah well, I'm mean, I'm saying in 2015 I didn't think he was overly accurate either I mean how long he broke it, out it, of that. It, it took a month before he could throw 
like a, a five yard out. But then uh, he was accurate though. Remember, yes. he got so much better. Then he just it, yeah. threw it deep to yeah. Will Fuller. And that's like a lot of the times when I see analysts post clips of Deshaun Kaiser, look at this NFL throw. It's the throw to Ecclemanius St. Brown against Syracuse. And I'm just like, that's it? I mean, you mean the long, the early crossing route where he. No, the deep ball down the right oh. sideline. And it's like, that's a great throw. Against Syracuse, yeah. um, so I, I just I just don't really get that. That was an that. awful secondary. <laughs> what was had, the safety's name? That yeah. guy. <laughs> he had moments. In, now Will Fuller's attached to all these moments. I'm about to bring up as a whatever it was, redshirt freshman, 15. He had moments as the year went on where there was some, the, the throw against Stanford that Fuller accelerated for a 74 yard touchdown. I mean that was an NFL throw, getting the ball out there. I know he was wide open against Dory Jackson. He wouldn't really count that one. He had yeah. some moments where he got hot at the end. And I do want to bring up the clutch issue, because clearly, if you define someone as clutch, he was not last year. No. But it's weird, because that's why everybody embraced him as a rookie, as a redshirt freshman. Obviously, Virginia was one play, but it was clutch. Couldn't be much more clutch than that. Uh, He brought him back to beat Temple. He won the fourth quarter against USC. He brought him back to beat beat Stanford, and the defense gave up. And then he brought him back to what... I mean, he brought him back, basically, against Clemson. It's not his fault Steve Elmer got murdered. On a yeah. two-point conversion yeah. call. He was the opposite guy in the fourth quarter. And I, I don't remember the exact stats, but I did break them down last year. In the fourth quarter, he was I think he was exactly 50%, 32 of 64. And in the rest of the game, he was over 60%. So there was an issue last year in the fourth quarter. Is it all on him? Probably not. That never is, right? It's never all on one guy. No. But if you're going to be, if you're going to look at a guy that was clutch, you have to say he wasn't clutch last year, and I don't know no, why that was though. Well, and he, did, you know, he didn't. He had the young receivers, so a lot of times when, like, when we're talking about accuracy, is it because he threw it in the wrong place, or, or right. were they in the wrong place? You don't, you don't always know that. Even scouts looking at that yeah. don't don't I, know for sure. I mean, the, the Navy game really comes to mind with that question where he missed Torrey Hunter in the end zone where clearly he was throwing one route and Hunter yeah. was running another one. Ultimately, that cost them the game. Well, and he had a deep ball to Stefferson. This is something Greg Gabriel yes. has talked about yes. where Stefferson broke stride. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a sure touchdown and Stefferson breaks stride on a deep ball. That was the only time they got stopped in the game. Yeah, yeah. but it, look, he'll have another shot at Pro Day which won't be viewed with the same level of importance that the combine was because... There's Everyone just more at well stake there. that, right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And he's got his own receivers. Clawson was 48 to 50 in the combine. Yeah. So, so that's what I'm saying. So yeah. it's not nearly as important as the combine was. As you pointed out, uh, Pete, the loss of weight. I mean, I, I don't know how much weight right. he lost, but physically he looked better, which makes it a little bit surprising that he, he didn't test, test better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, you just look at him in the face. Uh, he looks like he lost. 10 pounds of, at least, of baby fat. At least. Um, Skim milk from whole milk? Probably. I guess. Uh, one thing, I, I want to read this quote from Kaiser at the combine <laughs> and get your reaction to it. This is uh, him asked about the two-quarterback system last year and his development and its impact on the year. And the quote is, I don't think it held me back, but I do think I spent a little too much time thinking about that rather than thinking about developing the guys around me and developing the trust once again, the 2015 and 2016 team were completely different. We had almost a completely different roster on offense. I think there should have been a little more, bit more time spent with me trying to develop that trust and develop the guys around me to make plays in the fourth quarter drives that we needed. At times, I was looking over my shoulder a little bit too much. That's probably my biggest regret this past season. Well, when I read that quote, I said, yeah, that's exactly what you did. You were too... He spent too much time being concerned about that. He got pissed off when it, yeah. you know, when it happened. And I, 
I you expect and at the time we were like, well, that's a good thing. Of course, of course, they would be. Well, but you expect you expect Zaire to react yeah. that way, but you, I didn't necessarily expect Kaiser to react that way. Um, I can understand where he's coming from because it shouldn't have been a two quarterback system. It it shouldn't have been. Right. Oh, I mean, we have all the ancillary evidence we need, right? right. <laughs> they were for it. I mean, they're right. on the train wreck. Let's, it's. There was not. There's got to be a reason Deshaun Kaiser was that much worse. He was. I mean, what do you think of Deshaun Kaiser coming into last year? Uh, Outstanding new quarterback. Two yeah. more years. No, clutch. I thought one more year. I thought he'd get out too. No, I knew he was. Yeah. Like, I mean, we knew. Well, if he we built, were told yeah. he was, if he was yeah. good, if he was good, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, but I thought year, I thought yeah. he would take a big step forward yeah, and sad. then leave. He just sort of was the same and then left. Um, that, that was confusing to me, but it's, I look, it's clear in, in hindsight, the system, you end up getting a worse product from both guys. Yeah, since we're using hindsight, when do you think with a good player like Malik Sayer is your backup, a guy that obviously had a lot of support in the locker room, when do you think that decision had to be made? Ideally the beginning of August training camp, because you can't do the spring because Zaire wasn't fully healthy, right? You, you got to give Zayer something in training camp if you think he has a chance. Come back from Culver. Okay. Make the decision. I pick the guy. That's what I would say. Yeah. All right. We're focusing all on one guy, but Isaac Rochelle showed himself well at the combine. Um, Jerron Jones has a great wingspan, but that was about the extent of what was positive about his experience at the combine. Yeah, I mean the the testing. Isaac Rochelle was middle of the road. Pretty much in everything, which I, I think is fairly predictable. Good, yeah. um, you know, it's like, and he was upfront about, look, I know everybody wants a pass rush. So I had, do I. I had four and a half sacks. I, you know, I've had a hard time letting that loose, but I think he made a good point in terms of selling himself of like, well, I started in a three four, I started in a four three, I played end, I played, you know, defensive tackle. Um, so the versatility, he could be a guy that takes up two roster spots for one, uh, next year in yeah. the pros. I think that which was, he's, which he did for the last, I mean, two, yeah, basically two years, he did certainly. that here, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. He did that here where there was no reason for it. Um, you know, but <laughs> bench, he was above average 25 reps, 40, he was slightly below a 4.89 and vertical jump. Above average at 31 and a half. Jerron Jones. He jumped 11 more inches than, than Jerron Jones. Jones, right. Uh, Jerron Jones really was 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 poor. Uh, bench press, 22 reps, was 30th among defensive linemen. 5.33 in the 40, which is 49th out of 51. And then dead last in the vertical jump at 20 and a half inches, which was 51st. And that was four inches off the next guy, which is, um, you know, a lack of physical strength and a lack of explosive ability. It, yeah, it was it was just a poor showing for him. I, there's no way around it. Um, so I, I don't know where that leaves him. Not, if, the, not you surprised that that he was that far off. That he was yeah. that far off. Yeah, you know, is he an explosive athlete <laughs> against Miami? Yes. Um, I was say, just like you would harness yeah. some of that, like just like if, you know, have the have the bench press Barbie, you know, sort of Miami colors or something. It's like you know. <laughs> it together Gerard um I, th- I thought that he would do better than that but am I surprised he did wasn't that explosive in the vertical jump uh, no 
Um, but the other stuff, I, I thought he would have a better yeah. weekend than that. This segment is stretching on. Do you want to start spring practice I want in to the next about segment? And current then... defensive tackles that don't try all the time as yeah. opposed to the former ones. <laughs> we'll go from there. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we end this segment, start segment two, talking spring practice, and we'll go into the questions. I think all the questions deal with spring football. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider talking about spring practice. We're thankful that this is the last preview of spring practice with nothing to, to work on other than depth charts that we've been pouring over for the last six weeks. But what are you guys looking forward to? Brian Kelly will meet with the media Tuesday and then the first first 15 spring practices on Wednesday. Uh, I mean, the rover position, I really yeah. want to see what happens there. Everything on defense is... Yeah, I want to hear... It's like, I want to hear what... Mike Elko, the coach, is like, you know, what's what's the vibe there? Uh, and then I don't think we'll see, I mean, I the 11-on-11 11 11 stuff is not going to happen for a while, but I, I just want to see how, like, Brandon Wimbush handles a room kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, does he have some, all that, the it factor type stuff that you feel like he does because everyone in the program keeps telling you that he has it. Um, I can tell you that one uh, a former Notre Dame coach is, just continues to get on the table for this guy saying that he will be better than Deshaun or Malik or anybody that they've had. Um, they absolutely love Brandon Wimbush and think he's going to be a complete star. So let's see it starting Wednesday morning. He just, better be Wednesday morning too. Yeah. Otherwise, we're writing him off forever. Exactly. <laughs> that So much is on the line Wednesday morning. I want to see if the corners, the four guys, because I'm not, not including Crawford yet, are as good as I think they can be. Because you've never really looked at Notre Dame and thought, boy, look at all these young corners. They have so many. We could, I said this before, but we could just all pick their starting corners and nickel, and all of us could be wrong going into the season. That's how good I think they could be. I want to see them. And the spring for me is about being able to watch corners versus receivers because that it's hard to, you know, they're not, the line's shuffling. Um, we don't get a lot of look at the offensive and defensive lines because we actually were 110 yards away most of the time in the spring. Yeah. I mean, it really, just our proximity com- compared to August, it is different. Um, so I always have fun watching to see the corners develop. Won't Harry Heastan called dibs on being 110 yards away from the media? You can hear him, though. It's yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> um, they have six corners, by the way, Notre Dame, that have started a football game. Wow. Isn't that weird? There's a, that. There's, there's a lot of potential there. You know, you talk about Wimbush, and I understand that feeling that this guy's going to be better than all of them because just physical... Skills, yeah. athleticism, speed—that you know—that free and easy throwing motion—you can understand why someone would come to that conclusion with him. Plus, if you lose games, you're always happy about the new quarterback. Yeah, and that, so yeah. I mean, that's just that's just <laughs> the nature of the game. But for me, I mean, anything that happens on defense is going to be exciting, right? Because you want to. <laughs> if, if defense occurs, if, oh, that's <laughs> exciting. No, I did. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it that way. I meant, although you can certainly apply it yeah, that way. It's like the available. Yeah, you know, Mike Elko. How everybody's going to be aligned? We're still guessing about who lines up where on the defensive line, even to a large extent, uh, at, at linebacker as well. But all of that's exciting. Who are the pass rushers? I'm not. I don't think that it's as great of a concern as it has been in the past, because Elko creates pass rush through scheme. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, won't I don't think that Andrew Trombetti is so suddenly going to become a much better pass rusher, but he can become a better pass rusher statistically based upon the scheme. And then, to me, the back end, probably the most fascinating is the back end because 
You've got nothing but young guys back there, but Stud still and Elliott are talented athletes, and I want to see how good they are on the back end of the defense. We could be totally wrong, starting with a spring prediction and an August camp prediction about who starts at both safety spots, too. That's how, I mean, I think that, I know Pete, you're high on Isaiah Robertson, too, part of it because he's an early enrollee. I don't think he's going to start over those guys, but why is he that far behind those guys? It's a new defense. He can go in and he's, make plays, right? You know, he Isaiah Robertson has had exactly the same number of spring practice reps as Jalen Elliott. Yeah. So yeah, but play. not the same game reps. No, I mean, just but to, it's it's he. I mean, it's not like they've nailed down these spots. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, absolutely not. Three years or anything no, like that. It's, it's like he's just not that far behind. Like there's not going to there should not be a situation like the Studsill Redfield last year where. An early enrollee and comes in and pushes a senior. I mean, that's ridiculous. But I, of all the early enrollees, Isaiah Robertson is the most intriguing based on opportunity. Brock Wright is the best based on talent. Um, and I guess that sort of gets to another thing. I really want to see how Chip Long uses the two tight ends. If the, if that is a legit, if Chip Long is affecting Notre Dame's offense, then we'll see a ton of two tight ends. If it's if he's calling plays from Brian Kelly's playbook, then we won't. Um, I think that's interesting. And then just a couple personnel guys. I want to see, okay, where does Jay Hayes line up? Is he inside, outside? What kind of shape is he in? Dexter Williams, his career's half over. Uh, we've been talking about how much potential he's had since he showed up. I'm not allowed to talk about And that then Alize Jones, obviously. <laughs> where does he line up? How much work does he get? Uh, how fresh does he look? Um, that, that's a guy that I think has a chance to really move the needle for Notre Dame offensively this year. I think Pete's trying not to say Claypool's name, so I am interested in seeing where Claypool lines up. I yeah. want to see who he's competing with. Um, it, it's, I mean, he's a guy that you would figure now a year into the program, every time you saw him out there, he flashed. Uh, whether it was just running down the field on special teams, we know he'll be there. Brian Polian's already talked about Chase Claypool. It's, it's Chase Claypool, Nico Fertitta, and who else for his core special teams guys. But you want to see where Claypool can help the offense. But that's kind of why I find the, the secondary, by comparison, so interesting. Equinemius St. Brown's not losing his job. You know, these the, we can tell you who's going to be starting at some of these. Kevin Stefferson, in all likelihood, is going to start a wide receiver for Notre Dame from his on-the-field productivity. Secondary, there's movement. There's going to be movement. Yeah, well, and, and along that same theme, I mean, you know you know the four you know four of the offensive linemen they're going to start. Uh, Alex Bars could, could move into guard, but... This, I mean, this is why I say everything on defense is exciting. Like the defensive, the defensive line, Dalen Hayes. You know what? Where? How does, how does Jonathan Bonner fit? I mean, really, based upon last year's depth chart, he's in line for a starting spot. Really? Are they? Will they really go in that direction? I mean, I, I'm not sure, and that's why when you say Pete, you're interested to see where Jay Hayes fits. I'm really interested to see where Jay Hayes fits because he's been he's been yeah. a He's been a tackle. He's been an end. How does it all work out in the Elko defense? And then, I mean, even if you look at linebacker, and we've been speculating about Tranquil, and I assume that that is true, that he's going to be the rover. But how do they use Bilal? How do they use Martini? I think really the only certainty there is Niles Morgan and Mike Linebacker. Sure, and I think, you know, you talk about the defensive line. Jerry Tillery has to have a really good year. Notre Dame. Doesn't he? Yeah. He, everybody else is the solid talent level guys that can step up a couple a level. You know, can't he take more than just a minimal jump? Okay, so on a scale of one to ten, what's your confidence level that he's going to take that jump up? Two. Two. I don't I don't have a giant confidence level for it. I'm saying he has the ability to do it though. Well, Daniel Cage is probably is why the I, best guy and he's just solid. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean it's, it's like this is this was something that 
uh, Rochelle was asked about at the combine. It's like, okay, the defensive line next year, you, what kind of group do you feel like they have coming back? And Rochelle started with Tillery, which, okay, makes sense. Good, a good place to start. And then he said, you know, it's like, I think Andrew Trombetti has a take, chance to take a step forward. I'm like, okay. You thought you were talking to me at the time? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and he's like, and then Brandon Tiasim isn't a young guy anymore. Oh, so maybe and you're just like, whoa. Um, is that... Notre Dame just doesn't have a lot of material on the defensive line right now. And I can understand why Rochelle would not list a freshman. Right. Because he probably doesn't know them that well. But it, it really highlights the fact that unless Notre Dame gets... Dalen Hayes, Julian Aquara, Khalid Kareem, unless those guys, the light goes on, probably for all three of them, two at a minimum, the defensive line is is going to be a, a fairly pedestrian group, and it's hard to play good defense with a, a pedestrian defensive line. Well, I, I, you know, I think, I mean, the, the biggest wild card there is Kareem. That was a guy that yeah. we all had a, a pretty high level of confidence that he would become a player as he was coming into Notre Dame. He got a brief look last year, known for a late hit. That's about all he did in, in uh, you know his freshman year. But I, mean, I think that's a guy with a lot of potential, and I'm really interested to see what what he does this spring. At least they burned a year of eligibility for a late hit and four wins. Yeah, that's well. you yeah. know I, we would be remiss in saying though when I said Tillery's the guy that could do a level jump. Dalen Hayes could do a level jump. So he you know he could, and yeah. I, I'll yeah. put Tillery at a four in terms of okay. of confidence because and you know I've been very sure. critical sure. of him in the past, but. What you said was he has the ability to do it, so that'll raise my confidence a little bit before going in. Right. Uh, actually, let's take one question before we get in. And just like the guy buried on the depth chart is a Twitter thing that you think could make a jump from like way off the radar to a serious contributor this year. So Claypool will be cheating. He's because we all like his talent. That's, yeah. he's, but that's not a. That would be a serious contributor from way off the depth chart, huh? Um. It's got to be on defense. Because an offensive lineman's not... We all assume it's Kramer Eichenberg being the fifth guy. Yeah. Either one doesn't surprise you. Mm-hmm. I think there's so many offensive guys that you're, no one's coming up and taking over for the starting yeah. top two tiers. Do you have somebody... I, you know, I, I think that... I, I'm curious, real curious about like Tony Jones, honestly, um, as a back who can catch the ball yeah. in the backfield. If that's where Notre Dame's offense wants to go, I think that he would be an interesting guy. Um, the number two guy, then? Yeah, I mean, I, I think just by definition, any early enrollee is, is buried on the depth chart at this time, and it, it would not shock me if Brock Wright jumped up a couple levels uh, out of the gate. But, I mean, there's not... Uh, I don't. I don't know if this is a, a team loaded with off the radar candidates. I think mine's Robertson. So many young guys the guy, played. The guy we talked. Isaiah Robertson's my guy because I don't. It's not that I don't like the safeties. It's just they haven't proven anything either. So I mm-hmm. think Isaiah Robertson. I like this film, and I like this film more than I like Stud Still and Elliott's film. That's the best way to say it. Yeah. Now they they've put some time in, of course, but Robertson's mine. I, you know, any pass rusher, any yeah. any. I mean, any <laughs> yeah. anybody maybe that, that maybe shows. Aquara. I mean, Aquara. Aquara. You know, I have I, at this point, I have no idea where Ogundeji is, but that's a guy that. I mean, if you think about think about his high school film mm-hmm. and his ability to come off the edge, maybe that's a guy that just because out of sheer athletic ability need. And, and need an opportunity might be able to come off the edge. Now, maybe you know a little bit more about I, I do where not. he is in his <laughs> development. I don't. I mean, and that's why I think Dalen Hayes or Julian O'Quara. Uh, more, much more likely. They've got much a, more, yeah, something much more good likely. has to happen yeah. there. So, all right, well, that's it. 
it for segment two. We've got a ton of questions in segment three. Uh, we'll talk a little bit Scott Pagano, a little bit scheduling, uh, a little bit more about Notre Dame's offense in general. So we'll get into all that next, our final segment of Irish Illustrated Insider. Back to segment three of Irish Illustrated Insider, our burning up the boards portion uh, from SR5452. Looking ahead to next football season, which games intrigue you the most? Also, what game is the measuring stick for you and how much this new staff has improved or how far ND still needs to go? I mean, Georgia. Georgia's the answer to both of them. I mean, that's the, the season hinges on that because you're going to be Temple. There's going to be some good vibes around the program. It's going to be a big game against Georgia. It's at night. It'll be hyped up. You need to have at least two weeks of the season where you feel like everything is good and you have a chance to at least be in a conversation about the playoff. Just just make it through September and have that be a viable conversation. So to me, everything hinges on Georgia. Um, <coughs> is it going to be season-defining? Maybe. Is it going to be a big recruiting weekend? Yes. And, but most importantly, you got to just give the people hope for <laughs> at least a couple weeks. Since Matt Rule has gone from Temple, yes, I, I yeah. concur that I have a lot of confidence he'll beat uh, Temple. But yeah, I, I don't know how you can. Georgia's a game for me too. Nordame's never played Georgia. It'd be even more interesting the following year when Nordame goes out there. But um, you know, Kirby Smart they struggled a little bit in his first year, but I expect he had a good recruiting year, right? They did, and I expect them, and they're talented. Georgia's talented, so I expect them to be a much better product this year. Georgia is the game that I'm pointing to early on to see just how good Notre Dame is, and just how good Georgia is. And I think it would be even if Notre Dame was good last year. Georgia would still be the most intriguing yeah. game. They don't travel north of Knoxville basically ever. Georgia, they don't. They don't leave the south. No. for for uh, road games. So yeah. this is yeah. It's I mean. They're going to invade. There's going to be a lot of people coming from Athens to South Bend, too. It's going to be one of those scenes that this is a oh, game. Yeah. I mean, that's that's going to be fun. That's going to be fun atmosphere. And I think, Pete, as you said, you, you got to be 2-0 and because of if you're 10-2 and last year and you start 1-1, and you still think about, well, let's see if we can run the table, right? But if you're 1-1 and after last year, you're, you're going into you're two road about, games. You're worried about being 2-2 two and two in September, <laughs> and then what's the point at this point, yeah, right? That, that, <laughs> just, life has no meaning. The next, the next most interesting game is any road game. Any road game, yeah. I, I mean, it, they really, it's true. They, they did win a road game last year. They went 3-2 and two on their, their remarkable 10-3 season or whatever that was called recently. Uh, they win a road game the year before. They don't win road games. They're 4-10 in their last 14 road games, and they have five of them this year. Mm. And they are all Power 5 teams, unless I'm crazy. Yeah, they're all Power 5 teams. So the road is the most intriguing thing for me um, because Notre Dame was 4-8. and eight. September is just the litmus test for me. You can't be 2-2 two and two after being 4-8. and You've got to be 3-1. and one. You have to have one or zero, zero. losses oh, well, zero by, the, by the time speed. you hit that the mid-season game against USC. That's a good call. USC. You can have one, though, by yeah, that point. You can have yeah. one. It's yeah. fine. But... You, and then you have to win that game. Um, to and me, the rest of them. <laughs> the rest is not... For all time. Uh, but yeah, George, to me, pretty much everything hangs on Georgia. So, no pressure. It's just game two. <laughs> and speaking of schedules, Notre Dame just released, uh, the, first of all, the kickoff times for 2017. We have the night night games against Georgia and USC at home and the 5 o'clock uh, kickoff for Miami of Ohio. And then the 2018-2019 schedules. Opening with Michigan in 2018 at Notre Dame Stadium. That's going to be, that's going to be fascinating. That schedule is 
quite interesting because it's like, okay, if you can get by Michigan, which is a big if you can get by, then you got Ball State, Vanderbilt, and Wake Forest before the Stanford game. Um, you had a chance to, to do some damage there. Yeah. And certainly beating Michigan in the opener is that that is the national story anywhere in college football. So that, to me, that... It's a really interesting schedule. Other notes on there, the fact that Florida State comes to South Bend in November, I think that's notable. And then somehow the Big Ten was able to carve out room for Notre Dame, not in the month of September, where they play at Northwestern in November in 2018 and at Michigan. I think I think that's a late October game in 2019. I was always told that the Big Ten couldn't. <laughs> Couldn't break away from the tradition of its uh, conference schedule outside of September, what, so that's what, interesting. To what me. are you suggesting? Uh, the Big Ten was full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> it's a top-heavy schedule, man. You have Michigan, Stanford, Florida State, and USC on the schedule, and three of them at home. That's that's worth your home ticket price. I'm not saying Duke wasn't, but you know, <laughs> Michigan, Stanford, and Florida State on a home schedule—that's pretty nice. Well, that's I, a, O'Malley, on your topic of road games, 2019 at Louisville, at Georgia. At Michigan, at Duke, yeah, you might want at to Stanford. You might want to win in 2018. Wow. In, 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 in 2018 at Virginia Tech, where Notre Dame has never been, which is a – I hope that is a night game. You yes, won't hear me say that fun. very often, right. but I hope that's a night game because I Blacksburg is looks like a really, really unique place to see a football game. I would game. love to see that. You could even move to Thursday for me. That'd be so intriguing. I want to see a night game uh, at Virginia Tech. You know – uh, 2019, Tim, it's a long ways away, but it could be the return of Mr. Davey. Of Bob Davies. Yeah, yeah. I, I, in fact, that is, that's when I saw that, that prompted me to, I'm going to get a hold of Coach Davey here coming up soon just to visit with him and catch up with him and see what he thinks about the possibilities of still being the New Mexico coach three three seasons from now. <laughs> this, is a nice, this is a nice little run in 2019. There is a bye week in there, but USC two, at two Michigan, yeah. USC at Michigan, Virginia Tech. Yeah, that's some football. Yeah, the fact that that's... USC and at Michigan are consecutive games is fairly ridiculous. Um, but that's a, it's going to be a fun schedule. Some good trips in there. Uh, the, you know, it's a little imbalanced, I think, in terms of the home the home schedule in nineteen is weird. New Mexico, yeah. Virginia, Bowling Green, USC, Virginia Tech, Navy, and Boston College. Nothing compared to eighteen. Or no, I mean, eighteen's great. Nineteen's bad. Yeah, attending games. Nineteen is that's a that is a real tough one. But hey, you'll have a fifth year senior Brandon Wimbush starting. Uh, yeah, we will. So, so no, no problems. There. That's, that's bad news if you have fifth year senior Brandon Wimbush starting. Actually, a question <laughs> from Irish Bob: Last year's team had an identity crisis. So, who will define the identity of this year's team, and what will it be? I'll tell you what: it could be Brian Kelly. I think that would be bad because um, it has to be a player or players if for Notre Dame to really hit at a high level. So the guys. I think in an ideal world, the guys that who were the guys that dragged Notre Dame over the finish line this year? If we're talking about this in December, and Notre Dame won ten games, the guys that we're going to be listing are Quentin Nelson and Niles Morgan. To me, those are the guys that have to pick up Notre Dame and just drag them forward, whether they want to or not. Um, I think that not, Quentin Nelson naturally wired that way. Niles Morgan, maybe. I think if Niles, if you could get Niles Morgan can go to a leadership workshop with Joe Schmidt for a week and come back and pick up some things that worked for worked for Schmidt but w- would then work for Morgan. I think Niles Morgan has a huge responsibility on this team to 
from a leadership perspective, and I'll, I'll be very curious to see how he handles that. Where does McGlinchey fit in? You're obviously putting him in a, like a different classification. I, I mean, I think he's there um, he's and does a good job of it. Captain, but yeah. I, I think that Nelson has a um, sort of a dog mentality that McGlinchey does not. I, I, I'm I, not I, saying McGlinchey is like a bad leader. I, or anything. I agree, but is is Nelson the voice that that? will rally players. I've, I've never, I'm not saying he's not. I think he could. Um, I, I would like to see Quentin Nelson cut loose. Maybe not as a rah, rah verbally guy, but somebody that knows everyone's watching him because everyone's going to be watching him next year. Uh, and speaks up enough that he can lead in kind of like a Nick Martin kind of way, or maybe even a Zach Martin kind of way. Um, I don't like, like, Quentin Nelson doesn't take any crap. And I think that they need more guys like that on the roster. You know, I don't think, I would I would add McGlinchey to it, though, like Tim said, because I think McGlinchey struggled with not playing well last year. Because in August, mm, he yeah, was a leader point. for us. And then he just didn't have a very good year. He was fine. There's nothing wrong with him. Yeah. But, I mean, well, there was some, he was a little bit bad before the snap sometimes. But <laughs> it was, he just did not play up to our expectations. Anyone's yeah. expectations, his own, Brian Kelly's, he stands. So I think if he can be... The player we thought he'd be last year, he could join those guys. As oh yeah, I, look, he's a critical, critical yeah. part of the whole thing. I'm just saying, like, who are the new voices in there? Like, okay, you're replacing the voice of Tory Hunter with the voice and presence of Quentin Nelson. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a pretty soft. Spot. That's a that's 180 situation. Um, you know, defensively, I really like Anawalu and Rochelle. I think Niles Morgan can bring us something extra to that um, that was lacking last year. And it's like, I think Drew Tranquil is going to be part of that in a Joe Schmidt kind of way. I think Niles Morgan is somebody who could relate to everyone on the roster if he really you know, puts is conscious of being a leader in that way. And Brian Kelly has said more than once, and actually Van Gorder said it, he is our toughest player. Yes. Niles Morgan. This was when he was a sophomore. He is our, it wasn't playing. He is our (laughs) toughest player. By a wide margin. And that's what you need about 50 guys to follow that list. Best teams, the captains are the best players. Next year might be one of those. Might be one of those times. Uh, if you look at the Nelson McGlinchey Morgan group. Yeah. Webster, of course, too. Right? Yeah, Austin Webster. I think I also... Well, and Martini's a, a, a captain, yeah. too. And I, I think I think Martini is a well-respected player. I don't know how... how yeah. uh, vocal he is, necessarily. But I think guys look at him and really respect who he is and what his capabilities mm-hmm. are. So everybody leads in a different way, and you need the outspoken ones too. But I agree with you. I think Niles Morgan, that's a that's a tone setter there. That's an absolute tone setter on the defensive side of the ball. This is a fun exercise. We should just every once in a while throw a name Notre Dame six captains, so you have to do it off the top of your head. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that easy to do like it usually is. Well, I'm sure yeah. we're going to, I'm, Jack, I'm sure that we're going to be rolling, recording one of these times, and I'm, can guarantee you I'm not going to be able to name all six yes. in a row. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, Washington D. Outside of Brandon Wimbush on offense, the play of what player on each side of the ball will be most important to Notre Dame's success in 2017? Oh, geez. Tillery. Tillery and yeah. Cage. I'm going to start right there because that's that's the middle of mm-hmm. your defense. And if, if, you, if, if we do not see the best of Jerry Tillery and... Daniel Cage, it it starts there for me in yeah. the middle and it, and it works its way out. Tillery for sure for me because I think Cage 
is just a solid, good nose tackle. I, I said I like Cage a lot. I just think Cage would be a guy everybody likes a lot if he had another Daniel Cage next to him. Playing like he could platoon with himself. Yes. You need two guys that are solid. You know, you can't just have solid and drop off to. I have no idea if the guy coming in for me can play when you're solid. Mm-hmm. So I think Tillery, because of the upside. Um, I mean, Morgan's a great call. I fully expect Morgan to have a very good year. But I guess you're thinking, I'm thinking if Tillery and Cage are solid all year long, Morgan could have a great year. I would say Dalen Hayes um, for obvious pass rush concerns. And I, I do think, as I said in the previous segment, I think Alizé Jones is a guy that can move the needle with what Notre Dame is offensively um, because he's just that versatile and he'll be a matchup, matchup problem. On, uh, on the offensive side of the ball, I look at Mustafa and Bars. Yeah. Okay, now they, they have to play like veterans regardless which spot Bars is, is taking. Um, they're not young players anymore. They're both seniors with two years of eligibility. We fully expect McGlinchey and Nelson to be right. really, really right. good this year. We said that last year. Some growing pains there, maybe. Um, you know, certainly for McGlinchey, but because he was moving to a different position, Mustafer and Bars need to hit the ground running. If you put those four together with an Eichenberg or a Kramer or a Hodge. It should be a better, more cohesive line than last year. Then I guess one of the first guys I thought of automatically becomes good, Josh Adams. If, the, if you have four offensive linemen right. you're relying on that are playing well, Josh Adams will be much... I mean, you know, look, he had an end of the year. very. He had a really good end of the year, both mm-hmm. Virginia Tech and USC. But he had a disappointing season somewhere in between Texas and Virginia Tech. It was not the year you thought from Josh Adams. He didn't score... He scored one touchdown the first seven games. Is that right? That, that's crazy to think yeah. of. And he looked great against Texas to start I, yeah. the year. So. He had a bad hamstring combined with no Ronnie Stanley and no Nick Martin. Right. Yeah. So I think next year's line could look a lot more like the 2015 line. Yes. If that's the case, Josh yes. Adams is going to average 7.2 yards per carry uh, in most games. Uh, next up, Fresh 16-19. With the staff and conditioning changes, have not heard any recruiting profile like big skill, skill, and power as much anymore. Is this still how the staff recruits body types, or are they using a different approach to evaluate profiles? You know, you don't hear it because they decided it was too confusing. I asked, uh, I asked Nordy about it in 2000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I asked him about it. I asked Brian Kelly about it, and he said no one understood what I was saying, so we just stopped using the terms. I, that was in an interview last year. They just don't use the terms or confusing. They, they still do recruit. This they, don't, they don't use it publicly, publicly. or privately? They, they still use it privately. Okay. They all know what it means, but they don't use it publicly because everybody's like, what does yeah. that mean? I mean, I think, so. isn't that, I mean, that is basically how any football team is comprised, yeah. right? Yeah. With, it's just that those were his phrases. Right. We're not accustomed to them. Just when I, I really got used to it, too. He's like, yeah, we don't use them anymore. So they don't yeah. use them anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't think that. They're still recruiting. Everybody's still right. recruiting big skill, skill, and power. They just don't yeah. call it yeah. the same. If you're thing. in his room, if you're in their rooms, you'd hear it. But it's just not yeah. a thing. Like they just stopped on signing day. I think it was before 15. It might have mm-hmm. been 14, even. And I didn't get a one on one with Kelly to ask mm-hmm. him after that year. I just mentioned it, and that bill it's used is just not the word, the verbiage that goes to the public because it doesn't make any sense to most people reading it right. that come to tune in to Notre Dame. We're talking about this is our eighth big skill guy. This is our eighth skill guy. We don't have to define any yeah, every it, article. That's good. <laughs> it's, it's hard enough to know where everybody yeah. is on a depth chart, let alone breaking it down by a different classification. But clearly, I mean, there are some profile sort of takes with the defensive sure. line. They want a little bit more length there. The rover position, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's obvious. And then even... Big skill rover? Yeah. See, it's tough. It's tough. But even, like, cornerback, when, you know, they're a little, they're more boundary and corner. Yes. So they're... 
They're looking for particular guys to play on the boundary and particular guys to play in the field. Same with the safeties, too. Yeah, so it's... Uh, Stud and a whip. But I think ultimately at the end, it's like... <laughs> I just wanted to say that. <laughs> what What do you want? I want the biggest possible, longest possible guys who can run the fastest. That's my profile. And it's what every team wants. I'm going to confuse everybody in these press conferences. I'm using all Diaco phraseology when I ask questions from that one. Yes, so the dog, is it more? Well, who would play dog in this situation? <laughs> it is yeah. interesting that uh, the, the one problem I have with recruiting to, it's not a problem because I'm not a coach, but you need, when you're recruiting to type, recruiting boundary field and everything like that, it means you better be there for a while. Right? Right. So... I know, I think Mike Elko will be here for a while to recruit to his position, but like I thought about this when Van Gorder was here, because I always thought Van Gorder would leave after two years, after the 15 team, mm-hmm. for a new job, not that he'd get fired or anything like that. When he started, I thought he's a nomad, two year prior. he'll be here two years, so I was always uncomfortable with co- with recruiting to his specific profile, because then you're leaving a program with the profile that might not be what they want anymore. Right. Now, I do think Elko, as long as Army has success, is in here for the long term with Notre Dame, so you can recruit to that. But it's dangerous, because <coughs> if he's just the best defensive coordinator in the country and he gets a head coaching job, then you have his leftover. Yeah, I think that sort of gets back to the everyone's looking for... Good players. <laughs> yeah. good athletes who have long arms and can run fast. Like, Yeah, yeah it's you... like the field and the boundary, whether Mike Elko is here or not, will still exist. It will. <laughs> Those hash marks are not going away. Um, so... I, they should. They're too wide. But I do, you know, <laughs> I, I do think like with Diaco, that was that was something. Like that was a thing yeah. because the only defensive ends they wanted were six foot five, two hundred seventy pounds. That's not really going to work in every defense. Now, athletic cornerbacks who can run and jump and have you know two legs and two arms, like that kind of works across the board. Yeah. Would you rather have a six foot? Three and a half Greer Martini or a five foot eleven Jonathan Jones. I mean, you're always going to choose the. Yeah, well, I think that was one of the things with linebacker last cycle. You saw Antoine Simmons, yes. the kid that signed with Michigan State, and Ellis Brooks, so I think it ended up at Penn State, were five foot eleven linebackers. Right. And Mike Elko was like, I know these guys are four star prospects, but that isn't really what I'm looking for for my defense to work. Quick segue with that, since you mentioned that, Malik Van. Yeah, I mean, uh, that'd be another example. Yeah. I mean, a guy that probably measured more like six one and a half than six three when he came to visit. It's my understanding. I think you had mentioned, you know, if he's two eighty five. It's my understanding they felt he topped out at two fifty. That could be. I mean, he he is somebody that you look at his body type and you're like, mm, where's the room to grow there? Right. Um, and he's a strong side defensive end, and if he can't grow, yeah. I just like flexibility I, look, there. Van Gorder would have would have taken him. There was no doubt about it. Elko, I mean, I'm impressed by that. Elko's a little bit more discriminating. It may, you know, we're going to make this decision. It may be criticized on the outside, but this is the decision that we have to make. Yeah, there's no question. And I mean, on the recruiting time, we had a bunch of questions about Scott Pagano and how that went because he moved up his visit a couple weeks. I think mostly to accommodate Clemson's spring break, um, his own, and was here last weekend talking to sources around Notre Dame. They felt like. They're legitimately in it. Um, they're also concerned about Oklahoma. They feel like that's a real threat. But, I mean, as we said on the last podcast, this is, or a couple podcasts ago, this is a guy that would change my outlook of next year's defense in a big, big way because on your Daniel Cage yes. and Daniel Cage defensive alignment, then you don't need to do that because you, you have Scott Pagano instead. That would be, he would be one of your top 
two interior defensive linemen. He might be your best interior defensive lineman. And certainly I think that some of the, I don't know how good of a le- much of a leadership role you would have as a grad transfer, but he's been around winning and he knows what that looks like. That can't help but be a positive. Cody Riggs had one, but he was a natural. He just, right when you talked to him, you knew he was going to have a leadership role in that yeah. secondary. Um, right when he came on, I know they, they tailed off at the end of that mm-hmm. year, but he was hurt. He was a natural leader when he came in, so it is possible mm-hmm. to do it. It's Even if it's just a situation where Scott Pagano ends up at Notre Dame and he sets the example for Myron Tagovailoa, Mosa, and Heinish, and Wardlow, some of the younger defensive linemen who, yeah. the fact that you're a grad transfer is completely irrelevant because... Well, you were here when I got here, so right. and and you oh you played at Clemson, that could be a positive impact too. It may not have anything to do with Jerry Tillery, Daniel Cage, but certainly can trickle down to the roster. Actually, I was just going to say I think it would it it would be a positive with Jerry Tillery. I mean, I think it, I just his mere presence would make Jerry Tillery better. I, I mean, he's lining up next to a guy that just played for that just want to play for a national title two straight years. Yeah. I, I realize not necessarily in a lead role, but. Uh, you know, I'm hoping because I think that makes them a much better defensive line. We talked about where do we start in the middle of the defensive line. Stick Pagano there. I think Nordame's a much better defensive line. This is a question three weeks ago, probably on the board. Who's your number one recruit for next year? And Pete, you said I, Pagano for one year because if it doesn't work this year, it's getting blown up. Yeah. So he's a, more so than a guy that would be coming for four years because he enables three more years of, yeah, of the current yeah. regime. That's, yeah. that's, there's no question that that would be a huge, huge get for Notre Dame. It would just change the outlook of the whole defense. I think, you know, you look at you look at the program differently, which is maybe putting a little bit too much on a grad transfer, but it, just based on the nature of the position and where he played and how good he is, I think it's that would be justified. Well, I think that's it for our podcast today. That is. <laughs> All right, we're going to be back on uh, March 9th, Thursday, between then and now. We'll have Brian Kelly availability tomorrow on March 7th, and then the first spring practice the Monday of March 8th. And then if you survived watching Georgia Tech, Virginia, you can tune into that podcast <laughs> and we can preview Notre Dame's opponent that night, uh, Thursday, March 9th. The Priester will be out in Brooklyn for that one. So until then, March 9th, you've been listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.